Well, welcome to another episode of Scientology Fear Game. Hello, Mike. Hi, Lee. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. We have another special guest with us today. Oh, yes, another, we do. Another, another one of our faves. Yes, she is. Hello, Valeska. Hi, Leah. Welcome to the show. We really appreciate you being on. Thank you. I'm really happy to talk to you and Mike. Valeska, you were raised a Scientologist. Uh, your parents were Scientologists, and you were sent into the Sea Org, or what they call the Cadet Org, when you were how old? Six years old. I was, yeah, my parents got divorced, and my dad went to the Sea Org and okay. took all of us kids with him. What happened? You know, they got divorced. And why did they get divorced? Did they get divorced because he wanted to join the Sea Org? No, they got divorced oh. because they were having problems. My dad was like a, a struggling <clears throat> artist, and mm-hmm. my mom was a nurse, and like her last pregnancy pregnancy was really bad it was twins and one of them died so she was in hospital for like three months straight and she was the one that made all the money so it was a struggle so they sent a Scientologist to resolve their marriage which was a millionaire guy and he fell in love with my mom and had an affair with her that was the the handling so so let's so let's go back so let's so so you can tell that story so Valeska you were you were raised a Scientologist, and at six years old, your parents were getting divorced, correct? Correct, yeah. And so why don't you take us from there? Okay, so um, my parents were struggling in their marriage, so um, a Scientologist was sent to help resolve it. Okay. And it was um, this Swiss guy who was a, a self-made millionaire, and he fell in love with my mom, and they had an affair. So you're so 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 Scientology sends a Scientologist to solve your your parents' marriage, and your and the and the Scientologist seduces your mother and has an affair with her. Yes, yeah, gotcha. He was like sending her love letters and stuff, and he was very charismatic and very successful. So yeah, so they had an affair, and then um, actually, I kind of exposed it when I was six because they were always together and. I told my dad and it blew up and then they got divorced and basically we were told by my dad that we were going to England with him to the cadet org. And I remember this so vividly because it was so traumatizing. But my mum took us to England with my dad and we were at St. Hill and there was this like old blue bus there and she was with two Sea Org members in grey standing next to her and she was crying and she's like, I'll be right back. I'm just going to the canteen to get hot chocolate. Uh And we were put on the back of the bus and it just drove off. And that's the last time I saw her for like a few, a couple, I think it was like six months until she came and visited us for like a day. So I just want to be, I just want to be clear because a lot of us ex cult members still talk in cultese and cultology. It's Okay. So basically, you 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 guys were shipped off to join Scientology C organization, which is the hey Mike. How would you explain what the Sea Org is? It's it's a because people ask us why do they wear uniforms and what's the connection to the to the military uniform thing, and yeah. why why is that? Why did L. Ron Hubbard come up with this pretended military? look and theme because everything is run semi like the military where you're saluting people and calling people sir and they they have all the epaulets and the 
what is that stuff that they, you put on your jacket when you're an officer and all that stuff? What are, what are those called, Mike? The campaign ribbons. Yeah, like what? Yeah. So what, where did all of that come from? Because that, it's that, you know, they're impersonating our from, mil- the military. That came from Hubbard being in the Navy in World War II, and then subsequently when he was being pursued by various governments, most particularly he was living in England and he wanted to escape them, he bought a boat and then went to sea in the Mediterranean on his boat and took with him a number of Scientologists from England who were the dedicated, most dedicated members of Scientology to go and live and work with L. Ron Hubbard aboard his ship. And that was the beginning of what became known as the Sea Organization. And because they were on a ship, they wore naval-style uniforms, and Hubbard fancied himself as a highly successful naval officer and implemented basically naval terminology and routines to the sea organization, as he called it. And the sea organization to this day has maintained a lot of those traditions, including the fact that those people who went to join him committed themselves for eternity to establishing the goals on aims of Scientology, Mm -hmm. and that became the infamous billion-year contract that people who joined the Sea Org sign. Right. And so they basically, it's just kind of a, I mean, obviously they're not going to be there for a billion years, but the motto of the Sea Org, if if you look up the little symbol on Wikipedia even, it says that it stands for We Come Back. And so L. Ron Hubbard has brainwashed all of its members, parishioners, and CEO representation, believing that when you die, you'll take a 21-year leave of absence and then return back to the job of the Sea Organization or being a Scientologist again. Correct. Okay. And, and you know, there's even more to this. The, the symbology is taken from the Galactic Confederation and the members of the Sea Organization are the current version of the loyal officers from OT3 who vanquished Xenu. And right. it, it's like, it goes on and on and on. But the Sea Org yeah. is those people in Scientology who live and work full-time, 365 days a year, all day mm-hmm. and every day, live communally, eat communally, mm-hmm. and work for the good of Scientology for no money. Right. So go. at age six, thank you, Mike. So at age six, you were put on this bus at St. Hill, which is in England, um, and, and shipped off to the Sea Org. Yes. Uh, so we went from St. Hill to Stonehams, which was the, the Berving, and it was this huge old, I don't know, like mansion building, but it was completely run down when I got there. Uh-huh. I spoke no English. And I remember going up these old stony stairs and down this, like, three-kilometer drive full of holes and going to the dining room, and um, it was just a whole bunch of people going, and then we got to the dining room, and it was this, like, all these white tables lined up, and there was a huge hole in the ceiling, water all over the floor, and it was cold. It was England. And lining up and eating this food, which to me was completely inedible. And 
then they didn't have enough room, so we were all put, me, my sister, my brother, and my dad, in, in a single bed that smelt like pee. The whole house smelt like pee and bleach. There's even a report on it when there was an inspection done. And I was, I missed my mum so much. I was a mama's girl and I didn't know where she was. I was so confused. So I was, I was throwing up all night. And then the next day my dad started the EPF and we were put in the cadet org. And that was my first experience of no emotions because our nanny was French and I was crying and she was like, knock it off. Like, that's not okay. Stop dramatizing. And she put me to work. So... So you, Sorry. you, so, <laughs> so, you're, so you, so you, no, you should feel emotional. So you were put to work at age six, yeah, uh, to be in this cadet org, which is not officially the Sea Org yet, but it's kind of like the at this time because also, Mike, people get confused about kids in the Sea Org. At this time, they right. were allowing children in the Sea Org in this manner. They still allow children in the Sea Org. Uh, you're just not allowed to have children while you are Sea Org members. Does that cl make it clearer, or do, am I confusing everybody, Mike, do you think? No, I, th I think that's clear. I mean, okay. back, back in the old days, children could be born to members of the Sea Org. That's no longer allowed. But children, children who allowed. have parental consent now are allowed to join the Sea Org uh, as long as they're over the age of 10 or something i i don't even know what it is but right and, the, and back, the back in the back yeah. in the old days like when my kids were born they were born into the sea org right and, and when was, Alaska was, was yeah. six she was along with she came into the sea org but there were children there who were and children babies. of sea org members who yes. had been born in the sea org right and just to also let everybody know when you say nanny I, I think you're being kind. No normal person would find this an acceptable setup that these people who are assigned responsibility for looking after the children have absolutely no skills or qualifications to do so. In fact, yes. in the Sea Org, mm -hmm. generally, the nanny, quote unquote, that's what mm -hmm. they're called because... Hubbard wrote a flag, exactly. uh, an issue that says this is what the nanny's job is. Right. The nanny is usually someone that can be, ex is an expendable, is yes. someone that can't do exactly. other normal jobs. Right. So gets put to looking and watching the kids. Could you imagine? Uh, yes. Yeah. This is just how the how things are in the Sea Org. The menial tasks, the unimportant stuff is the stuff that people who are incapable of making money or being a Scientology, you know, executive or counselor or something, they get assigned to doing those sort of jobs. Right. It's a degrading job. It's like, for it's example, yes. Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. It is considered a degrading job. For example, um, there was a guy who was, when I was like 10, there was a guy who was a peeping Tom and he kept on looking at women showering and he wouldn't stop, so he was going to be sent to the RPF. And then they're like, oh, okay, we'll give you one last chance. You can look after the kids. So he became our nanny, quote-unquote, and he ended up installing cameras in our dorms and getting off on watching us change. Right. So change. this is this is, this is is a normal – this is normal practice in Scientology. I wish I could say that this is something – this is how they look at children. They don't look at the most important job 
would be to put the most trusted, the most able, the most valuable members of Scientology in charge of our children. This is not yep. abnormal, and nothing has changed, or not, and nothing will change if we don't continue to get these types of stories out. And and Valeska, even if you were asked, if if because uh, people say, how come people are not talking about it? Well, a uh, Scientology children currently do not understand um, that this is illegal, that they are being abused, that their parents could be charged with neglect by putting their children in these in the Sea Org and in these types of situations. So um, the people who who need to speak out currently, as opposed to us, you, Valeska, and those who continue to speak and tell their stories are the ones telling the stories. But this is not in the past. It's happening today, and it will continue if we don't continue. So here you are uh, in the Sea Org, uh, in the Cadet Org, at age six, and you're working right? You're working as mm -hmm. any other child would be working in the sewer. You're, what are you doing? What kind of tasks do you have to do in the cadet org? So we did all the cleaning of, of this big, have you been to Stoneland's Mike? Oh, I was in the EPF there too, Valeska. Now, every, the, the, the EPF place. stands there for was... states. Let me just tell everybody, cause you guys are saying RPF and EPF and nobody knows what you're talking about. The EPF <laughs> is like the min is like the training, the beginning training camp to be a Sea Org member. The RPF yes. is when you, you know, molest a child or rape somebody, um, they put you on the decks. So, you know, it's basically the same thing. It's like uh, prison. Well, I wouldn't say but, it's like prison because it isn't. It's Valeska. worse because no, it's Valeska, worse. They, Valeska, a real yes. prison is a real prison. The RPF yes. is not enough punishment for somebody who molests a child or who rapes somebody, right? You're still living no, a free life. Right. Yes. So you're still living a free life. You're not in a real prison. You might be in Scientology prison, but you're still free. You're cleaning. You're you're doing things. You're you know, as a free, somewhat free person. You're not in jail where you should be. And you're not registered. No one knows. Like correct. You know, people like that uh it's known about. So Valeska, at six years old, you're put into this cadet org organization mm -hmm. and what are you what are you kids doing every day what what is it that you have to do in, in the cadet org to train okay. yourselves to be stellar sea org members okay so i actually i have to tell you this one of the yeah. first things that happened is i was six years old and i was sat down and i was made to sign a seal contract a million year a billion year seal contract because it was a a statistic right they wanted us to all be future sea org members so okay there was no choice in the matter. It was like, sure, read this and sign it. Of course. Um, read we this were and run... sign it at six years old. <laughs> yeah. Okay, go ahead. Um, we were run like the Navy. So we were like, we had to stand in line and um, so they could control where we were. Because there was, at that time, there was so many children and hardly any people looking after us and any quote-unquote nannies. Right. Um, and then we were put to work to clean the whole house, uh, we used pure bleach to clean everything. So, like, our hands would get, like, really dry and, and crack, and you'd have this smell of bleach up your nose constantly. So you had no protective uh, we, gear? No, no protective gear. gear. We And it was, like, a, those big bottles of pure bleach. It didn't even have anything else in it. Right. 
Um, we clean the, the bathrooms, we clean the grounds, uh, de-weed. There was like this old swimming pool there that was always full of like broken beds, frogs, glass, and we'd go in there barefooted and have to take out the glass with our hands and empty it all out. And, um, yeah, and then um, we had to study Hubbard like two and a half hours a day in the evening. So on top of the the labor that they were forcing you children to do, they would force you to then study at night. And so you mm-hmm. kids were working from eight in the morning till what? Six. We had dinner for half an hour and then so we'd you, go to study. You'd go to nine. study till nine o'clock at night, six-year-olds. Yes. Okay. And you did yes. this for how long? Um, well, then I started <clears throat> like going to Scientology school, so I'd do that in a day and then we'd work after but I did that till I was 14 another thing that happened which you did this um, you're 14 years old yes okay and there was times like we yeah another thing that happened is I missed my mom so much and I was so miserable and I remember I was trying to get attention so I would purposely um like hurt myself to get attention but I got yelled at for that because that was you know, I got really yelled at for doing that. Because you and missed your it, mom. Yes. Right. Yes. And where was your father throughout all this? Was your father was, parenting you? Who was... No. No. My, he was in the Org. He lived, like, we lived in dorms with... There was probably about 50 girls. There was also babies there. We had to look after the babies. So I was changing nappies and looking after babies at the age of six. Um. My dad, yeah, at the beginning we had family time for an hour, but my dad missed my mum and he would just sleep. And I remember I would clean his room to try and make him feel better about it. But, um, and then that was cancelled. Another thing is that I would do headstands on my bed and I was on a top bunk because we had bunks, like just to rebel somehow and to somehow have some control. So I'd get pulled out of bed and I had to wash pots every night huge pots at six years old which actually put my back out and had I ended up having one shoulder a bit higher than the other which got fixed years later because every night I was washing these big pots with the RPF until about 10 30 11 at night that went on for probably about a month because I just I kept on doing the headstands on my bed I don't know I it was I was trying to have some control Right. Now, Velasca, at any point did the Sea Org people ever tell you if the authorities come or anybody comes, uh, child, you know, child protective services come, and this is what you have to say? Because this is, uh, I mean, if anybody walked in and seen children working like this, using, you know, working with bleach, uh, living on their own, taking care of a six-year-old, taking care of babies is insane. Uh, did you ever get trained on how to speak to people? Should they ever come to to, yes. to base and talk to you? What did they say yes. that you should say to the authorities? So um, first we had like, we also were put on the meter once a week to make sure we didn't do anything wrong, which was so scary for me because someone would be like watching this needle and you didn't know what it meant. Like, and th- so then sometimes we'd have to write, like we had to do like the conditions where if you did something wrong, you were disciplined or well, who taught you what to say to the authorities and what did they tell you to say? So from the age of six, we were made, like when I was there, I was made to believe that police were bad, authorities was bad, 
government was bad, lawyers were bad, like any of these people were really bad people and that you always put Scientology first. Like you you cannot, like you have, it's called like a a white lie or acceptable truth. So you have to. An acceptable truth. Yeah, we've all learned this, by the way. Go ahead. Yeah. And then actually there was a time where, uh, like when I was about, 10 to 12 where we were rebelling a little bit and I picked up the phone and I was like, I'm calling child services because the cook like beat me up with a mop in my face. And um, so I was like, I'm calling child services. So the, the nanny came and ripped the phone out of the wall. And then I had to do like disciplinary actions and do all this extra work for having done that. And right. write you were down punished. You were I was punished. punished. So you had to like write down your sins. For this. Yes. Right. Yes. So you learn basically don't report, don't say anything. And this is basically the indoctrination to any Scientologist, whether or not they're in the Sea Org or not. I mean, all of us learned this that you, anything that happens within Scientology is your fault anyway. Yes. And if it is the other person's fault, if the other person uh, is at fault, they'll handle it within Scientology. And but even seeing, if the other. Yeah. Even if the other person is at fault, like if like if someone came and punched me in the face, like and they got in trouble internally yeah. for doing that, I would also have to look at what did I do. They call pull to it have in that, so to have that happen to you. What what yeah. did I do wrong for that to happen to me? And that was my mentality. From I mean, I was born in Scientology, but it was really pushed when I went to the cadet org. So that's how I fought my whole life, and I yeah. still I think have that, to stop right? myself. I yeah. still think. If anything happens to me that's bad, I'm still always internalizing. Like, what did I do, like, to make that happen to of me? Of course, it's it doesn't just happen overnight, you know, to change yeah. what you were raised with, because this is your ultimately these are your parents raising you. So, you know, yes. Scientology is your parent, and even though you you know what your parent is doing is 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 wrong it's still your parent you're you're still hoping your abuser will be your comfort yes as well. which they were not they, they and, hated and, us yeah, yeah, i yeah. i don't think that we can ever stress enough leah yeah this concept that is hammered and hammered and yes. hammered in scientology yeah. that you are responsible for your condition yes. that whatever happens to you something bad it's because you did something bad and the solution is to find out what you did that caused that to happen to you because it is probably the most damaging single thing that happens in Scientology is that people come to believe this is absolutely true. So therefore anything bad that ever happens to them in Scientology is their fault. Correct. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And on top of it, uh, you know, I know I've talked to you, Mike, about this, and I've also, you know, texted Valeska, and I'm, I'm texting everybody, emailing everybody, telling everybody about this book, The Betrayal Bond, which if if you have, uh, if you're interested in your own mental health, uh, whether you are in a cult or not, The Betrayal Bond is a book that talks about why people stay, why people don't speak out, why it takes so long for people to leave, why did you still believe in this relationship why did you still believe in your abuser this 
this book goes over all of this. And I just wish, Mike, that I'm going to start pulling out just, you know, pages because, you know, I'm asked the same question all the time as well you, as well anybody who's leaving Scientology or even an abusive relationship. Why did you still believe in them? But right. on top of this, Mike, it goes over certain things like, you know, traumas in your life, right? Like, it, you know, um, things like, uh, you know, abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, right? But then it says now, if you had this and then you've had, uh, if you were betrayed by your religion, if you were betrayed by your parents, and I'm like, check, 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 <laughs> check. And it says, and it, if you've had one of these, you, you need to do some trauma work with a trauma specialist because a lot of people go to therapy and they go, this is not helping me because you have to go to people who do trauma work. And it's so important to understand this as a concept because all of us need to be understanding the same thing so that we are telling the world why people are staying in these things. Why, why it took me six years to leave, right? Why it took Mike, you so long to leave. Why it took Valeska so long to leave. It makes sense when you read this book and you understand what happens when you have a betrayal bond with your abuser. That's how it gets created. That bond is created right from the and betrayal. Yeah, and Christy I, I and I think- are listening to it on our daily walk. Oh, good. The entire good. neighborhood is hearing this. <laughs> I am disseminating this book to our entire neighborhood as we walk around each day listening to it. <laughs> and Mike, have you had any thoughts about it as you're listening to the beginning? I mean, I don't know if you're far enough yet in, but it is like, I mean, I've had to put it down. And and Valerie, you know, Valerie, my assistant, I she's had to put it down. It's not an easy it's not easy work to do. Yeah, it's it yeah, you're exactly right. And there yeah. are so many things within it that are you go, oh yeah. Uh yeah, exactly. Yes, yes I yeah, that's exactly yes. right. Yeah. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yes. It it really is very, very interesting and brings up a lot of things that that you don't necessarily think of yes, as trauma. This is yes, exactly. Yes. And and examples of it and and how it affects people and sure. affects people forever. Forever, unless yeah. they do the work. Right. And that's the thing. There is hope, right? If you've been in a, an abusive relationship, there is hope. You just have to be doing the right work. And I've talked to people who said, I'm in therapy. I'm still, you know, I'm like, well, you, you got to be getting the right therapy. And I know it's a pain in the ass to try somebody else and to get on, just get on the right track. But we, you know, but Valeska, this all makes sense to me, right? It's, it's, it's thinking in terms of you are a victim of your parents in this case. I mean, from age six, from the moment you, you, where you, it makes you cry when you're talking about getting on the bus. I mean, that is a trauma experience that for any child to be ripped from their mother. And then everything that happened after, after that is very valid, Valeska. It's just that we're not used to thinking in terms of being a victim because that's the worst thing you can be in Scientology. And I think you're still, as well, I, working with that concept 
that you try to just say, I'm not a victim. I'm moving. I was going to. Yeah, I I know. I know. When you said that word, I'm like, no, I'm not. I wasn't a victim. But, but, but Alaska, I was, that's I not was bad. six. Yes, yeah. you were six, exactly. And and things that happened after were just as bad. Um so yeah, anyway, it, so sorry to, to, to go on, but but so so Valeska, so at this point, so you so you lived this horrible abused life until fourteen where you then what? Joined the I official Sea Org? Yeah, so I'll have to I just want to tell you one yeah. thing that I yeah. thought was important. Sure. In the cadet org in England, like some kids went to Scientology school in a day like me and then others to a non-Scientology school. And um, if we got sick, so the people that, the quote-unquote nannies, I don't know yeah. how else to say it, um, they would go into St. Hill. So if, for example, from the age of six, if I got sick and about once a year I, I would get this illness where I would just throw up and throw up and throw up. And it was usually for four days. Um, I was left at Stoneland's alone. Oh, that's where we lived. That was okay. the Seorg uh, Irving. Like the, oh, okay. So you were just left to just throw up by yourself? All day, yeah, from the age of it. six. Okay. No food, no doctors, nothing. And that's how it was for all of us. Or like one time I took too much nice and, and I was like really really sick same thing no doctors we never were taken to doctors nothing just left there and like I just think of that because if my kids are sick now like I didn't realize it was wrong like that's just how I that's how you're raised yeah yeah but now after I had my own kids I was like I'm horrified that that would happen like well, that's just because you're a parent, but right. So, yeah. so at the age of 14, you went to Florida. Well, just okay. take me. Yeah. So my mom was a, a Scientologist with her millionaire, millionaire husband in Florida. Uh-huh. And, um, we would go see her sometimes in summer for like six weeks, which was almost worse because we had a normal life for six weeks and then it got ripped away from us again. And did you ever tell you, and your mother never asked you, you know, what are you guys doing over there? This was a totally acceptable life to your mom that her kids are um, being abused all day, every day for. Well, she went there and she saw the conditions. So I have to say, yes. Yes. So she she was okay with it. She was doing her Scientology bridge. So this is normal to a Scientologist, this life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, my mom was in the Sea Org and I saw her. I would go to her room at, at like 11.30 midnight every night and, and see her. And um, this was when I was on the, like the EPF where you do all the training to become a Sea Org member. And then I was put um, in an organization which dealt with the servicing of the ex- executives of Scientology, like David Miscavige. Mike Rinder, <laughs> uh-huh. um, Guillaume Lesev, all those guys. So when they came down, I would clean their rooms, do their laundry, wake them up in the morning, make their breakfast, do their dry cleaning. Um, yeah, so I, I did that. Oh, and then when I was doing that, my mom decided to take off when I was 14. She took off on the sea organ and left me behind. So I went to her room and I was waiting for her till four in the morning and she was gone again. So, um, yeah, she left me in the Sea Org and didn't take me with her. 
Anyway, so um, after doing that for four years, serving the executives and stuff, um, my mum started speaking out about Scientology and she went to France and she went on TV and talked about Scientology abuse. So then I became a threat in David Miscavige's eyes because I had been on his service line. So I knew things about him. You knew things about him like what? Well, I saw him like yelling at people, um, pushing people against the walls. It was cool to beat people up. Like that's right. the that's what I learned from being around him. Um, right. That that reaction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So you're so so you're speaking out. Uh, your mom's speaking out, and you're you're acting out because you're 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 flowing to people, which is causing people to abuse you and, and commit crimes against you. And so what they, they feel that you're a problem and they tell you they, they ship you off somewhere. Well, what happened is first of all, when my mom uh, spoke out, I yeah. had to, um, I got kicked out of this higher organization because I was a potential trouble source and no longer qualified to be on these um, perfect people's lines. Right. Yeah. Right. And yes. then that's actually when I worked with Valerie, um, and we were working crazy hours. We were getting like four hours sleep a night. The other thing is I was human trafficked to Florida and working directly for David Miscavige because I was 14. I didn't have legal papers at that time. Um, my passports were taken and David Miscavige was directly part of that because I was working for him. So um, when I was 18, I was... Well, my mum came back to um, Florida from France and Switzerland, and I was put on 24-hour watch, so I had to be with someone at all times. Why? Because they didn't want you near your mother? or They what? didn't want her to come and take me, and she had been seen driving um, where I, I lived, and she put a package in front of my door. What did so it say? What was the package? It was, it was a white sweater and a photo of my baby brother, Michael, and it said, and it had a note saying that she loved me. Okay. That was it. And I secretly kept it because I shouldn't have, like, that was wrong because she was, like, an evil, right. suppressive person. Right. So, right. so then I was in the dining room and this lady from OSA said, oh, you ready to go to the free winds? And I was like, what? And she said, oh, David Miscavige has ordered that you go to the free winds. And I, and I, I was like, I don't want to go to the free winds. And I started crying because I didn't want to go and she's like oh don't worry it's only for a couple weeks and we got to get you away because your mum is back now and it's it's you know it's it's potentially could cause a public relations nightmare they call it uh, yeah, yeah for Scientology. so now Mike so now Mike were you on the lines at this point knowing what Valeska's mother was doing or I don't remember what year is this the 96 596 she put OT8 on the internet Yeah I mean I was I can't remember what I was doing I think I was on the decks at <laughs> int at that point Well um, Mike well Mike let me ask you this from from an OSA perspective what what why is Valeska now being so Valeska's mother is speaking out against Scientology she's putting confidential information of what the secrets of Scientology are on the internet from your perspective, OSA, right? Office of Special Affairs. This is the the what whatever you are part of. That you were the head of this department, Mike. What's happening internally? 
this now becomes the Leska becomes a potential attacker. Okay. By reason of her mother and her her relationship with her mother and her mother coming to Florida after she's been going on TV in Switzerland and creating a big stink, it would appear that she was coming to collect Valeska. And that's a problem why to Osa. Because because if she gets a hold of Valeska, just like Valeska just said, and she grabs Valeska and then starts going on TV with Valeska and she starts talking about David Miscavige, oh my God, that's the disaster of the universe as far as the Office of Special Affairs is is concerned. That is the worst thing. She can go on the internet and 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 or on the media and do whatever she wants, but she didn't have any personal knowledge about David Miscavige, but Valeska did. Right. So Valeska becomes a huge potential PR flap. And also and Valeska, that's why yes, go ahead. The, the handling for that is to get her to a location that is unaccessible to her mother. And her mother the free winds, the Scientology ship that sails around in the Caribbean, is completely and utterly unbroachable. If you are not a crew member or on board the free winds for valid reasons, you can't get on there. Right. The only way you can get on and off a ship is one gangplank. There's right. only one gangplank onto the free winds, and you have to get into the dock. You have to get onto the boat. It's like. It's and they can just literally lift up the gangway and sail off somewhere else if there is a problem. But but just so you know, Leah, that yeah. that from the perspective of Osa, it's the David Miscavige stuff that freaked every the, would freak everybody important. out. Right. That yeah. other stuff is in the minds of Scientologists is yeah. sort of ho hum yeah. routine. That's just what happens all day, every day, and yeah. big deal. Seriously, I know that it's not, but that is the mindset. The mindset of the Office of Special Affairs is protect David Miscavige at at all all costs beyond protect Scientology at all costs. So Valeska was a a threat or a potential threat to that. And that's why she had to be gotten out of Florida where her mother was. Right. And off to the free winds where she could be hidden from her mother and the world. And right. she's Valeska is not the only person that has been sent to the free winds under those circumstances. Like there are other people who have also been very problematic who have been sent to the free winds because of the security of its location. Like Don Jason is another one. Who's who that? was a person also in Florida who was involved in the Lisa McPherson matter and other things and got shipped to the free winds. He eventually escaped by sliding down one of the ropes no. of the free winds. Marty yeah. Rathbun was, was sent to the free winds. <laughs> Marty Rathbun was sent to the free winds after he had blown, escaped right. from the Sea Org and Miscavige sweet talked him into coming back and sent him to the free winds under guard with Greg Wilhair, who we have heard about with Claire, and and Ray Minoff, who were there for years to keep him under control and under wraps while the IRS 
was finalized. The negotiations with the IRS were finalized because he was such a big threat. So Valeska going to the free winds is not a, a like completely out of the ordinary circumstance. Although the case, the situation with her mother and, and she hasn't mentioned it, but also her stepfather who committed suicide after being forced into bankruptcy by all of the redging that happened where he gave all of his money and more away to Scientology and became destitute and committed suicide. And that's what Valeska's mother was upset about and was talking to the Swiss authorities. And there was government investigations as well as media. This was like a big deal. So Valeska was one part of that bigger picture and she had to be gotten out of the way and out of sight, out of mind as fast as possible. And can I just ask you one question, Mike, what sure. ever happened with those investigations with nothing? With nothing. <laughs> I mean, there was a civil lawsuit. There was, I, I think that maybe they there was a her. settlement. What? No, Scientology sued my mom. Because she put yeah, confidential I, information on the internet and they, right. And, yeah, that, and I, I just remember it was a sort of an endless mess, but it never really amounted to nothing. anything. Right. Well, it's not about nothing. her getting nothing, really. It was more about why the authorities weren't doing anything about what Scientology was doing once again. Yes. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, so, so they told you at this point you needed to leave for a few weeks and you ended weeks. up- Right, but you ended up being um, held prisoner there for twelve years on this ship. Yeah, all, yeah, almost twelve years. But yeah, so basically, what happened is I was woken up two hours before my plane left. I couldn't even pack anything. I just had a little bag, and I was escorted to the free winds by a guy named Quinton. Um, and as soon as I got there, it was Curacao. I was like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to be here. Um, I w- met the captain and I, I said, when am I going back to flag? And so I was instantly in trouble. I was instantly getting yelled at. Um, I was sent to the engine room until I had a what they call a cognition, which is a realization. Um, so about, oh, and just so what was about that? the fact that I was being an, this is going to be Scientology again, but I don't know how else to say I was being off purpose. I was putting myself before the group, and that is unacceptable. That so is we, selfish. So, you, so you, get to, you get forced into an engine room? Uh, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you just, you're just sitting there until you realize or have this realization that it's, you're being a horrible person? Yeah, and, selfish. Uh, and just, yeah, go ahead. just so you know, when I, you arrive on the free winds, there's a big security guard that the gangway, and the first thing that happens is passport, green card, social security card, any legal papers, turn them over, and they so get they confiscate, taken. They confiscate yes. it. So you don't and how Don, how Don Jason was able to escape is he hid his driver's license, so he had a legal thing, but I, I, had, I had nothing. I also had no bank account. Like, I had no access to the outside world. I'd been yeah. in this my whole life. And you had no so, phone. And you, you, even if you did have a phone, who would you contact? It I, would never come I to I your didn't. brain to call 911. It would never come to your brain to call the authorities. It just wouldn't. It's just not an option. No, that's evil. That's, that, that would be so evil. And, right. it, like, get, getting excommunicated in my mind was worse than getting shot because it's your whole eternity, you know? 
and you've betrayed the only people that are going to save mankind. That was sure. my mindset. But so, um, yeah, so I was there and like at the beginning I was working in a restaurant, but I didn't want to be there. I made it clear I didn't want to be there. I kept on getting yelled at and eventually the captain brought me up to his office and the captain of the free winds loves to do this where he brings you up to his office. He has a whole audience around him and you get yelled at at the top of his lungs for half an hour straight. And I was basically told that I was not getting off the free winds. Um, and I was put on full time engineer, uh, engine room decks and then washing pots all day for about six to eight months. Um, I, oh, I had a very good relationship with Shelley Miscavige. We used to write back and forth. And when I was in Florida, she was the only person who told me, you know, getting an education is actually really important. And that's my big regret because I was on the Apollo at 12 and I stopped going to school. So she ordered me these, these mathematics books that she wanted me to study. And I had to, like, when I learned division, I had to tell her how, like, she would test me every time she saw me. So for me, she was like a mother figure. So when I was on the free winds, I wrote her and I said, I don't want to be on the free winds. I want to go back to Florida. I hate it here. And they read and open all your mail. So I got take, like I got um, in trouble for that. Yeah. And they ripped the letter up. They said, we ripped the letter up. We're not going to send that to her. That's negativity. Right. Um, then on the free ones, you can't, everyone has a cruise card and you have a number and your, your cruise card number has to be activated by security to be able to call off the ship and all phone calls are monitored. And if you're in trouble, they deactivate it. So you can't make phone calls. Um, you're always restricted to the ship if you're in trouble. So you can't go off the ship. But for me, for the first year, I was not allowed to go off the ship anyways, in case my mum was came and took me. For the first six years, I was not allowed off the ship without an escort. So every time I went to the gangway, this big... So if you're in trouble, you go to the gangway and this big R comes up for restricted and it beeps really loud. So for, it's so embarrassing. So for six years, I had that every time I had to go ashore. And there was a little note saying either she's in trouble and she can't go ashore or she's not in trouble, but she has to have an escort. No, so, yeah. So during this time that you were on the ship, Valeska, what did you observe? I mean, were people being treated just as bad as they were being treated at St. Hill and and the and Flag? I mean, was it was it a little better here? I mean, it sounds just as horrible. Worse. worse. Yeah, maybe. I mean, when I was a child, it was terrible because I was a child. But the free winds is is so out of the way it's such a small space you it's so controlled it was I felt so trapped and after eight months of getting yelled at having 15 minute meal breaks not having any privileges at all not able to like talk to anyone even if I was listened to on the phone you know I at least I'd be able to like maybe talk to my dad or something but I couldn't do any of that and being basically brainwashed into you are wrong for not wanting to be here. You are betraying the group because in the SEOG specifically, and I think as Scientologists too, but in the SEOG, if you put yourself first, they call it first dynamic orientated, which means you're selfish. You're putting yourself before the group. And that's like, it's considered like 
disgusting right. to so you were accused like of that. that so you were accused of being a selfish person because you yeah okay. and then i i had to put in play like the code of a sealed member which includes you go wherever they send you in the line of duty right so and then when so after six to eight months of that um i just resigned to like well i'm I have to make the best of my life. Like, this is where I have to be. So I either have to be here or continue being in the engine room and washing pots for the rest of my life. So that's what I did. So it's never what I wanted, but it was, this is my life. I don't have a choice. And then when David Miscavige came to the ship at Maiden Voyage, I saw him and he's like, oh, I forgot I had sent you here. So I was like, oh. I'm going to be here for the rest of my life now because the only way I could ever get off is if he said, oh, she can leave the ship. Right, right. Valeska, you know, I also have spent a good deal of time on the free winds and in fact, in the engine room. Uh, and you, you talk about it like, well, just in the engine room. And I don't think anybody really understands what you mean. That means literally scraping shit off the bottom of the engines in the engine room. That means doing hard manual, dirty, filthy work all day long, because in the mind of Scientology, this is how you come out of your self-important or self-determined mm, or first dynamic orientation. Yes. Your selfishness, this, yeah. You, you get out of it by yeah. doing hard work, yeah. and it's really gross, and it's, yeah. it's disgusting, and it's, it's degrading and Abusive. debilitating <laughs> and- Claustrophobic. Yeah, I, I mean- it's dangerous. really pretty rough. It's you're not dangerous. In hazmat, and, because you're not in hazmat suits, are you? Are you yeah, exactly. protective? No, no. Okay. I, no. I used to, when I was uh, sent to the to clean the bilges, when at the end of the night, I would take a bath in fuel oil. Yes. Fuel oil is the fuel that the ship runs on, that a diesel engine runs on. It's like gasoline. Why would you do that? Because the, the grease off. wouldn't come off any other way. Yeah, like I, I was covered in grease head to toe. I mean, yes. literally every square inch of my body was covered <laughs> in black, grimy grit grease that sticks inside your paws. And if you don't wash, yes. get take a first long bath in yeah. fuel oil, you can't get it off with soap. So no. this was a daily routine of taking a bath in fuel oil when I worked in the in the the bilges in the engine room. But Valeska, people say, "Oh yes, but ultimately you were allowed off." So how can you say you were held prisoner on the free winds? And I, you know, this is something that that I have written about on my blog fairly recently about the. the the abuse or the mental brain or the brainwashing that goes on with people so that you believe that you're not able to escape or that escape will be worse than prison, etc., etc. Because worse than death. Yeah. Well, I, I, that's exactly right. Like you yeah. said, you'll lose your eternity. Sure. 
because Scientology comes back and says, oh, Valeska, she's a liar. She went, you know, she was able to go ashore like after eight years, but they yeah. kind of missed that point. And she even went on a plane and went to England and mm. came back of her own free will. And I know they've said the same thing sure. about me. You could yeah. have just walked off the property anytime yeah. you wanted. You could have right. left. And this, tell tell me what your mindset was after eight years of being hammered and brainwashed and indoctrinated into these ideas of why you're at the free winds, what your mindset was about leaving. Well, uh, first of all, it was hammered into me from the age of six, really. So I had that mentality. But my mindset was like that. One of the things they say, oh, is she worked in the restaurants and these police officers came on board and she could have said something. And I'm like, first of all, I didn't know who they were. Second of all, they were sitting with the captain or the port captain. And third of all, that wouldn't even cross my mind. That would have been right. so bad. I believed in Scientology right. <clears throat> and I would have sabotaged. Mm-hmm. Scientology and put them in danger. Mm-hmm. It, it was. It's a mental prison. It's it's chains that you can't see. Yeah. Um, the other yes. thing is, when you want to leave, you have to go through the gangway. And I saw people trying to route out of the Sea Org, like leave, and it would take them a year of daily interrogations. And a lot of them just gave up and were like, "Whatever, I'm staying." Like, there's. A mental bed, like there's a mental prison, but it's also physically on the free ones. You can't just. And if I did get off onto the gangway, I had no legal papers. I had nothing. But you also, so, it, it would that you wouldn't need legal papers if you went oh, to the sorry, authorities. Passport. It, it wouldn't matter if you went to the authorities and said, you know, I'm being abused as I have been since I'm six years old. But you wouldn't have done that because it's 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 a mental block it's a it's a prison of your own mind so it makes sense you're running away to where you're uh, where are you going to there's no how do you get a hold of your mother and even if you did get a hold of her she you still think she's the evil one you had separated from the brainwashing of it all to even think that she was an option yet so it all makes sense to those who are who've lived through this kind of hell And and just going back, Leah, to the book that you mentioned, this is exactly what that book talks about, The Betrayal Bond. Yes, exactly. It's exactly what this is all about. And can I ask you guys a question? This this, this inhumane treatment, like you're you're saying you're you're in shit, you're in toxic, you're taking baths in in fuel. I mean, did you guys, I, I, I know the answer to this, but- you guys went to the authorities. Let's just fast forward. You went to the authorities. The authorities know all of these stories, correct? Yes. yes. I went to the FBI. And, and the answer is what, Valeska? So when I left in, in Sydney, I went to, um, I spoke to the, whatever the equivalent of the FBI is here. I went to Fair Works Ombudsman, whatever that's called. I spoke to the FBI for four hours straight and, it's all, Just give me it, the bottom all, line. Give me the bottom line. What what, what do the authorities uh, say? They, they seem to not give a shit. Like they seem to be horrified by when you tell them, but it's like they're protected by religion. They, I don't know. They have billions of dollars, so 
it's it's like walking to a brick wall and it's like mike what's the answer to this yeah exactly but mike what what can you add to that that's true well and add to that that typically when someone goes and finally gets uh broken the chains of years later sometimes sometimes 10 20 years later yep go ahead exactly yeah go ahead what are they saying it's usually after the statute of limitations has expired on whatever criminal act it was that was perpetrated against them right usually and this is the problem that many law enforcement agencies have is being able to have current victims people who have current information they freak out about well this is old and what if they've changed and, and you know it doesn't <laughs> matter that you tell them nothing ever changes in scientology their their uh, idea is you've got to have current evidence and right. current evidence is really tough to come by because people are led to believe just like I was like Valeska was like everybody that you've ever met who used to be in the Sea Org that what went on was it takes like years before you realize that there was anything wrong with it. Right. Like it, it, other than you think that it, that things were, were not good. You don't believe for a long time that the solution to any of it is to go to the FBI or law enforcement who have been in, you've been indoctrinated into the idea that that is an evil act, right. that that is a horrible, terrible thing to do, which will destroy your eternity. So and the other that's thing too, the I, other problem. Yeah. yeah. And, and also I was going to say that, uh, because of all of you leaving in the way that you have, now even more restrictions have been put on to each base, right? The bases that could cause Dave Miscavige uh, some trouble, right? Those those areas where people are being held, like your, the, the executives that are being held at, in Riverside County at right. Golden Era Productions, or like you're saying, the Free Winds, right? Or where Shelley Miscavige supposedly is in Arrowhead, you know, now even the now where you may have had people leaving those bases to go to a lens crafters or to a Starbucks, they no longer allow that. When Valerie escaped, she escaped because they had actors coming on to this, you know, normal act, not not Scientology actors, you know, right. civilian people coming onto the base. Well, they don't allow that anymore. They don't allow civilians to drive their cars onto the property anymore. So they so now it's going to be even harder. I mean, people literally have to jump off the ship. People literally have to jump over a fence in Golden Era Productions in hopes that there's a passerby is there to save them. I mean, they have to go to extremes or they can simply do what they did in 1977 and conduct a raid. But Mike, even then you're saying somebody like you or somebody like Valeska, if the authorities came onto the property, your first instinct would be to lie. Right? Yes. It would be. Yeah. Oh. You would lie. Yeah. If they yeah. came to the engine room and saw yeah. me like under a deck plate yeah. in a claustrophobic area cleaning, yeah. I'd be like, oh no, I want to be here. Like, even though inside I'd be like, help Save me get me. the hell out of here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But you couldn't you say You would never yeah. say that. 
the other thing I want to say is like Mike and me, where we were in from very young, um, you don't have the external education. I was not educated. I didn't know the laws. Even when I spoke to the FBI, they're like, you are human trafficked. I'm like, what? No, what? I didn't know. I didn't know it was wrong. It didn't cross my mind that what they were doing was wrong. All I thought is that I am selfish. I am wrong. I'm not pulling my weight. Right. And so eventually in 2009, you had enough. You had met your husband, uh, Chris, uh, who you're still married to, and you you had to get permission to marry him from the free winds. No, I but, didn't. Yeah. I didn't have permission. I did it behind their back and got in big trouble no, for that. But you, but you should have had permission to get married, yes. right? And so you and your husband, how did you eventually get out of the Sea Org? Basically what happened is... Um, I did something very minor that they considered really bad. Um, at that time, we were getting three hours of sleep a night because we were selling this, the stupid um, books that uh, Miscavige had repackaged, Yeah, the Hubbard books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did something that was really stupid, but that was considered bad. So I was, uh, long story short, I was put um, escorted into this, a room by myself, put on 24-hour watch. There was a camera in front of my door. I had to be escorted to the engine room every morning by security. I had to eat my meals in the engine room for 15 minutes. Um, I wasn't even allowed to eat in the control room because there was AC. I had to eat in the boiler room, and I had to work in the engine room all day. Um, like not, It was like probably about 20 hours a day. Uh-huh. Um, by myself, I wasn't allowed to work with anyone else. I wasn't allowed to talk to anyone. Um, there was one incident where I um, got stuck under the the plate because you have to go under pipes and stuff, and I got stuck, and I couldn't move, so I started hyperventilating, and it took them about 45 minutes to an hour before an engineer found me. Like I think I was having a breakdown. I was just uncontrollably crying and hyperventilating um, and my legs were completely numb I had to be carried out um, I got yelled at for that because that was um, showing emotions basically mm-hmm. and then sent back down there um, and then I ended up getting interrogated on the meter and this went on for three months and I got to a point where I was I actually wanted to kill myself I I didn't want to live anymore. Like the whole thing of saving mankind didn't matter. And I feel that that's the breaking point for me where, and I don't know if this is real for Mike or not, where it gets so bad that you don't care anymore. You just, you just want to save yourself. But so I I didn't kill myself because I thought, well, the other person that did that, that was really bad public relations for the free wins and Scientology. And I didn't want to do that. And I thought maybe I'll get out of here. And I did eventually get sent to the RPF in Australia. And after doing that for 11 months, I wrote a letter to David Miscavige saying that things were wrong and that I wrote a list of things on the free wins that I thought was wrong. So I was considered to be like um, to have black, like bad thoughts about executives and Scientology and about the so you reported so, that, so you reported everything to Dave Miscavige of what was going on, and they responded with "You're bad again." And I was going to get sent back to the RPF in Los Angeles. Okay. 
So then I was like, no way. And um, the RPF is like the prison uh, camp, Mike, would you say, for, for bad Scientologists and um, for bad Sea Org members? Yeah, the Thought Reform Program. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so they were going to send me back there uh-huh. um, to Los Angeles, and I had married Chris, and I said, no, no way, I want to leave. And I wanted to have kids anyway, so I secretly stopped taking the birth control pill and got pregnant, and I refused to have an abortion. So it took me like... So they tried um, to get you to have an abortion? Is yes. this normal? This is normal for the Sea Org? Yeah, and I mm-hmm. said, no, I'm not. I'm not. And at that time, Mike and Marty were speaking out. Yeah. And I think the Headleys had a case or they were speaking out, so they couldn't push it as hard as they used to right. because of that. Yeah. Um, I was sneaking off because um, in Australia, it's less like I could go to the library. So I snuck off there and I was reading like things that Mike had written and that Marty had written. Mm-hmm. Um, because I knew them and I, they were never horrible to me or, so I was like, how come all these executives that I respected and looked up to and were like decent to me and now these big, bad suppressives, it didn't make sense to me. And I knew what they were saying was true because I had experienced it. Of course. Um, And Anyways, they, but yeah, so I was pregnant. They didn't pay for any of my doctor's appointments, nothing. And I was sleeping like on the bed without a mattress, just like springs. And I started like bleeding and um, I ended up losing the baby. I had to catch a train to go to the doctor's office. And um, yeah, long story short, I had a, a miscarriage, which was horrible, but I didn't tell them because I was like, I want to get out and this is my way out. So right. I ended up right. finally getting out in September of 2009. And you remained still. a Scientologist or where did you go? I mean, what, what, what so that resources was the most, did you have? So that was the most freeing moment in my entire life. I felt so free. And I went to Chris's mom's house and I, and, um, I started reading stuff right away. Um, on the internet. And like Chris's mom stuff. was a Scientologist or no? No way. She's a Catholic and she hates Scientology, um, which was really helpful because I met normal people that were not Scientologists and I was like, I was like, wow, these are nice people. They always make them sound like horrible, degraded people. And I was like, they're so much nicer than any serum member I know. So that was like a real awakening for me. Um, but yeah, I started reading stuff pretty immediately because I was never able to in the Sea Org and it was never my choice to be a Scientologist. It was forced on me since birth. Right, right, right. So, yeah, so I started reading stuff and then I went to Florida because my mum was there and I met with Mike who thought I was like a spy. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yes, he did. I met him at that fish place. Yeah, Bonefish um, Grill. Yeah. And then I also secretly started researching things about Hubbard and I started realizing that that it was all a lie. All that. (laughs) Yeah. And that he was like this pathetic psychopath. Right. Narcissistic, insane guy. So you started rebuilding your life. You built your life. Yeah. 
And then because I had worked around David Miscavige and so had Chris, Marion Powell was uh, calling us every day to try and, and like, she wanted Marion Powell. She's a woman that was on the Apollo, that was in the Sea Org from a very young age, and that always worked around David Miscavige when I was in the Sea Org. And she was one of the people that was assigned by David Miscavige to get these people that had left to not connect with Mike Winder or Marty, or, and to keep them controlled and as good Scientologists and not to speak out. Right. Um, but then I was, I re- secretly went and saw my mum, and I was working with Tom DeVart, and I didn't know, but there was a girl working with me who I didn't find out until you did the Aftermath show, that she was a spy. And oh. somehow my dad knew I was there. So um, two weeks before I gave birth, to Declan, my dad disconnected from me. And that was the final straw for me. Like I was, I was a pregnant woman. I was hormonal. And he sent me a text message disconnecting from me. And I was like, that's it. I went and sat down in my lunchtime and wrote my story and gave it to Marty Rathman. And that was your official coming out. And yeah, the end because of this. yeah, all I was trying to do is get my family back together. So I was talking to Marion and I was trying to get my sister's declare and my mom's declare cancelled. And they were making it so difficult. They are so arrogant. All they had, my mom had well, you didn't, you, di- you didn't need their permission to be talking to your family. But you didn't still did not realize that yet, right? Like that you didn't need any, per- you just were trying to leave the way Scientology wanted you to leave. But you couldn't do that. Eventually, you had to just kind of take the bull by the horns and go enough and take your life back. Yeah, it was just it was just too much. They just they couldn't they couldn't stop being abusive because it's Hubbard policy and they have yeah. to follow his policy no matter sure. what. They don't they don't have independent thought and so they just continued their abuse and it was just too much. And I was like, I have to do something about it. I can't. I can't just sit here and allow this abuse to continue, not only to me, but to other people. Right. Like, right. and uh, yeah, and that's when I was like, I have to speak out because if we don't all speak out and yeah. say what we've experienced, it's never going to change because the authorities don't change it anyway. So unless everyone does something about it, it's not going to change. So right. I was like, I haven't, I never had a family from the age of six anyway, so I'm going to lose my dad and my brother, but they were not in my life anyway, so. Right, and, and, and today you have beautiful family. Yeah, I had to get an education. I had to go get my GED, uh-huh. and then I had to, like, do basic things that people take for granted. I had to get a bank account. I had to get a driver's license. I had to... Yeah. You had to build your life. So, yeah. So today I have three beautiful boys and yeah. And, um, they have lives which have nothing to do with with Scientology and they never will. Yes. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And you continue to speak out and can't thank you enough for doing that and continuing to do the work. Yeah. And I can't thank you enough as well. And Mike. Well, we love you. For speaking out. Thanks oh, the... for speaking out. Yes. Well, that, that's oh, always also... going to be. <laughs> and for being you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Valeska, giving... 
We cannot thank you enough for for your time. I know you got to get your boys ready because <laughs> they're getting up now. It's very early where you are. Yeah, um, they're all like yeah. coming in my room, but yeah, yeah. Well, I want to thank you, Valeska, and and you're uh, resilient and you're strong and you're all things that that Scientology did not teach you. Thank you for <laughs> thank being you, you for saying yes. that. Yes. <laughs> all right. Until next time. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll. What? We'll talk next week? What do we say? If I got, well, you'll, you'll hear us next week. Yeah, well, you'll, you'll hear from us next week. <laughs> next week. <laughs> Until then. Thank you Bye. again, you guys. Bye.